All right, good morning. That was awesome, wasn't it? And Kevin is right. I probably am the most qualified to preach on this. I am messed up, that is for sure. Sadly. <laughs> yeah, I even got an amen back there. All right, well, it's been a while, you guys. It's been probably a year um, or so uh, since I uh, led, a, led a message or led a sermon here. So you guys have to show me some grace if I go long. Uh, there's a lot of things, you know, you go through your week and you, you, you think of these cool things that, that, gosh, when I sit down and put this together, I gotta, I'm, that's cool. Or, man, I got to remember this. And then it's like you sit down and God just says, okay, it's all gone. Here you go. And then uh, I told my wife, I said, you got to pray for me because my thoughts, everything is scattered. Uh, but uh, I'm going to be preaching on a, uh, a message. Uh, as you guys know, Pastor Chris is out. Um, so you have me. My name's Scotty. I don't know. I don't see any faces that I don't know, but uh, just in case. Uh, so you guys have me today, and I'm the best looking of the bunch, and that tells you uh, the state of this church. So <laughs> if you want to fit in and you're not good looking, come here. Did anyone go to uh, Winter Jam Thursday night? A couple people. Yeah, it was awesome. I'm telling you, they... Uh, they had the gamut of music, so they had pretty much anything you wanted, uh, from true, you know, contemporary worship to some guy screaming at a microphone. So uh, I would encourage anyone to go there. But uh, the reason I say that is just because I feel like sometimes we, as you know, us old people, us old folks, we're so uh, concerned about the youth, and we're so uh, we like to talk about them a little bit about you know how they just don't have it all together, or they need to do this, but. It is awesome to go somewhere and you see thousands of young people lifting their hand in praise to Jesus. It kind of makes you feel like, yeah, the, you know, God's, God's in control. God's got it. The world's, the world's okay. It's not dependent on me. Uh, but I just thought I'd throw that in there. This morning we're going to discuss a topic, and, and Kevin kind of touched on it. We're going to be going through uh, just kind of something that our small group has been kind of talking about this quite a bit. Uh, in our study, it's uh, a topic that I believe that uh, a lot of Christians uh, today especially have trouble with. Um, you know, and I believe that we're held back so much from living out our faith and walking our true Christian identity because uh, we have this identity crisis within us. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead, let's go ahead and uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer and then we'll get into the study a little bit. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this family that you've brought together. God, we know that without you, none of this is possible. And so we give you all the praise and all the glory. And Father, as we come to study your word, we just pray that you would open our hearts and minds, God, that you know how to speak to your people. God, that your words would penetrate our hearts, God, and you would speak and, and, and teach each one of us what we need to know today. And God, help us to take it and go out into this world and to live what we profess and to be great and shining lights for you, Jesus. That's in your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so we, uh, we as Christians here, we are kind of, we're kind of really out of place here. We're, we're really in the world and we, we're not really of the world and we hold on to things that really hinder us from understanding and living out uh, our best life in Christ um, we don't understand really sometimes who we are in Christ or our value that we have in Christ 
you know, we've fallen into the trap just like the rest of the world. And um, outside of Jesus, we let things define us outside of him. We let things tell us what our value is. And that's where we get our worth from. Awkward. Just don't mind him. You got to get my pretty face in there, I guess. But we, uh, so much so again, I believe that it hinders the church from being what we're called to do. We've let this world define us. Again, we've fallen into that trap just like everyone else. We're in the world. We're not supposed to be of the world, but we let the world define us. If I were to ask all of you guys, who are you? What would you say? Now we're sitting in church, right? And it's Sunday morning, so I'm sure most of us are going to say the Christian thing. And we'd say, well, I'm a Christian. Or I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a disciple. That's what most of us might say today. But I would ask you then, from last Sunday to this Sunday, is that what everybody that you came into contact with, is that what they would say about you? Is that how they would define you? Because that's what really matters, right? How we're living out our Christian faith is what really matters. Not what we can sit in here and say on Sunday. It's the other six days in between that matters. That defines our walk. Most of us, if we're honest, or we would say, well, I'm so-and-so. I'm Nicole's husband. I'm Trey Chase or Kobe's dad. People define you by those things if they don't know how you're truly living out your faith in Jesus Christ. You know, Christian may be somewhere on the list. I'm sure it's somewhere on all of our list. But is it number one? Do we value it above everything else that we are in life? Do we value Christian in our relationship with Jesus more than that? That's a tough question. I mean, it seems superficial at first, but it's tough when you really think about it and you try to define yourself and who you are. If I were to ask all of you in the last, honestly, when's the last time that you shared your faith, your true faith in Jesus Christ with someone, what would you say? Last night? Awesome. Praise God. For some in here, or even me, I'm sure it might be last week, two weeks ago, last month. It's probably been a while for some of us. It's because I believe that we don't, we don't know our value and our identity in Christ because we're afraid of what that person's going to think because we may be wacko and crazy and the world's not going to love us and the world's not going to value us and see us as important because we're that weirdo. That loves Jesus. And we're kind of stuck here wanting to be like Jesus and loving Jesus, but we try to fit in with the world and we want the world to love us too. And that's tough. I, don't get me wrong, I understand that's tough. Most of us, again, like the rest of the world, we get our value, we let the world place our value. Of what we're worth. And they tear us. On what we can be. And what we can't be. And how special you are. We let them define us. Because we don't understand how important we are. And how loved we are. In Jesus. How many of us have been on a diet this year? Mine has been a 10 year long diet. It don't stop. I'm not kidding you. It, it don't stop. It's up and down. Up and down. I battle it. I've battled it probably most of my life. 
And most of us in here, I'm sure, some of us, it's because of health reasons that we're on that diet. But most of us, if we're honest, it's because we get up and we look in the mirror or we go on our closet and we try on those clothes and we cannot stand what's staring back at us. Because we let the world define what beauty is and we let the world define what important is and we can't stand to look at ourselves. We can't stand for somebody else to see us that way. That's not who you are in Jesus. You know, we don't make as much money as someone else. So the world tells us, well, you're less of a provider. You're not as good as so-and-so. Or we can't take our kids on the cool vacations. So guess what? You're not as good as a parent as this person. That's what the world tells you. And we believe it. We let it affect us. You know, we post images of our best self on Facebook or on Instagram. I don't do much of that. I'm just Facebook. I'm old. But we do Facebook or Instagram and we post our best pictures and we filter it. And we do whatever. We make ourselves look so good. And then what do we do? I'm guilty of it too. I check my phone every five minutes. How many likes do I got? Because if I can just get to 100 likes, I'm important. And I'm special. And I'm loved. And I keep scrolling. Why didn't so-and-so like this? I can't believe they didn't like this. What, are they mad at me? They don't think I'm cool? We, that's, that's where we get our value from. That's not how God intended it to be. I mean, I spent 10 minutes getting my hair ready this morning for you guys. <laughs> 10 minutes. Really? Yeah. So I kind of put some things down and I uh, just want to talk about a few things. Uh, as I got into this, I really, again, wished I would have had more time and, and been able to put it maybe over a few series. So we're just going to do big, big picture, brief overview on things. Definitely could go in depth more, but uh, honestly don't have the time. And again, wished I could have uh, maybe done more of a, a series, but um, we're going to do the best we can with the two hours they gave me. So. So I want to talk about a few things again that doctors and psychologists, um, they all agree and they all agree on some of the things that make us have a healthy self-image or a healthy identity. Uh, and I want to talk just on a few of those things. And the cool thing is, is thousands of years ago, before they really came up with all the science, God already knew it. God already knew it and God already designed his relationship with you that way. The first thing that I, I want to touch on here is we all we all want to feel chosen, or we all want to feel significant to somebody, don't we? Raise your hands. I know you do. We all want to feel that way. Anyone remember gym class when you were young? Some of you guys I know are already in, still in school, but uh, when we were younger, they didn't just split teams up. They actually had captains, and they picked each team. They may do that now. I don't think they probably do, uh, but you remember they would pick you up for dodgeball or basketball or some other sport, and they would always choose the captains, and they would start choosing their teams one by one. Well, I'll take so-and-so, and I'll take so-and-so. And now many of you may not know by looking at me now, but I used to be overweight, and I used to be clumsy and unathletic. 
I know you can't tell anymore, but that was me. And I remember the horror of seeing the kids being chosen one by one. And the numbers are dwindling. They're going to that side. And all of us are still standing over here. And we're not getting picked. And you look around and you see, oh my gosh, is little Billy here. Because surely I'll go before little Billy. The horror sets in of being the last one picked. Because we want to feel chosen. You know, and the kids, they're... The cool kids and the athletic kids are getting picked and they're high-fiving and they're saying, yeah, you're on my team, you're on my team. And then it comes to you. And they like flip a coin to see who has to take you. And you walk over there like that and you just kind of, because we want to feel significant, don't we? Even at that age, we want to feel chosen and significant for something. And that's why the horror sets in because nobody wants to be last or feel unwanted. Everyone at one time in our life just wants to feel special or chosen for something. And I've got good news for you here, Christians, because you are chosen. First Peter 2 says, but you are a chosen, chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Who once were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Who, ha- who had not obtained mercy, but now you have obtained mercy. Ephesians chapter 1 says, Just as He chose you in Him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestined us to, as to adoptions as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, by which He made us accepted and beloved. See, in Jesus, we don't have to worry about being last. We don't have to worry about being ridiculed for our shortcomings. We don't have to shy away and act like Jesus don't want us. That He had to flip a coin and lost, so He had to take us. You were chosen. You were special. My Bible tells us that Jesus, before he created the world, knew you and chose you based on the fact that you were going to trust him for your eternal life. He says that we're blameless before him. Because he not just chose, he didn't just choose you to be on the team. He chose you to be a son and a daughter. So much more special than just being on the team. You're his child now. I want you to listen one more time. Before the first particle of this great world that we live in was created, Jesus knew you and he chose you before he ever created anything in this world. That should make you feel special. That should make you feel chosen. And that should get you excited. You're Christians, you should be excited about this. Now, the next thing I want to look at here to, to have a self, uh, really a healthy uh, self-identity is that we all want to belong to something, don't we? We all want to feel like we have a purpose in life. Not just to get up and, and work five or six days a week 
to pay the bills, only to get up and work five or six days a week to pay the bills. We all want to feel like there's something more than that. I know I do. We want to belong to something. We want to have a purpose. And I want to talk about something here. I know it's, it's, deep, it's deeply rooted in every human being to want to belong or to have a purpose. I mean, you look around you, people have made millions and millions of dollars on movies, seminars, videos on having a purpose in life, right? There is a a well-known pastor that has a whole series of purpose-driven because we want to have a purpose. God put that in us. And our purpose is not to work five or six days a week to pay the bills, to dread, to go back to work the next day. I mean, it's, it's Friday at 7 o'clock and we're already dreading Monday because we want something more in our life than that. I mean, people do a lot of crazy things to fit in or to belong to something, don't they? I mean, when I was young, to be cool, you had to have, and some of you guys are about my age, you had to have the Swatch Watch. With that whatever protector it was, that little rubber band that you put on your watch. We were poor. I didn't have that. I didn't even have a Timex. Or you had to have the mullet. I would love to rock the mullet again. I'm a little bit challenged in that way. And believe it or not, it's coming back. I never in my life thought that would come back. But Kobe asked Nicole if he could get a mullet. I was shocked and dumbfounded that that's coming back. Or to be cool, you know what we used to do? We used to peg roll our jeans. I, I couldn't do it. Mine just kind of rolled up, and I just looked like I rolled out of the farm bale and hay, and it was, all, it was all messed up. But we used to, And I look at pictures now, and it's like, oh, my God, did I do that? I cannot believe that I did that. But I wanted to fit in and be cool. I was one of the really cool kids, or maybe I just thought I was cool, but I had the parachute pants. And I had the Michael Jackson jacket, and I rocked it. You know, and then they had the MC Hammer pants. All these fads change, and you've got to keep up and keep up to try to belong and be cool. But on a serious note, you know that that's probably the number one reason that kids join gangs? Or that kids go down a, a really a bad path with maybe people that you didn't think that they would get involved with is because they want to belong to something and to feel special to someone and that's one of the number one reasons that kids do that and join gangs is because they want to feel a part of something that's why when you listen to great college coaches football coaches or or basketball coaches what do you hear them say all the time when they win that national championship Dabo Sweeney we just wanted the team family to be focused on one goal, something that's bigger than themselves, bigger than the individual. We wanted them focused on that one thing because people want to belong and they want to have a purpose. And if you can feed that in people, they'll do extraordinary things for you. That's what we all want as human beings, and God knows this about us. God knows, I believe that's why when he 
sent out his disciples. He sent them out in twos because he didn't want them to be alone. That's when, when God created man. He said it's not good for man to be alone because we want to be a part of something. God knows this about us, and hence we have this great big family now called the church that God brought us into. From the moment that we believe, we are a part of the family of God. Romans 12 says, So we, being many, are one body in Christ, and individual members of one another. 1 Corinthians 12 says, For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. We are one family here. The church, I'm talking about the big C church. And just like any family, I know you got crazy cousin Eddie over there that you don't really like, but you tolerate, and that's okay. You don't have to like everybody. You have to love them, and you got to be there for them. There's some people I don't really care to hang out with because we don't have the same interests. That's okay. But if they need me, I need to be there. And when I see something that, that they're lacking, I need to try to supply it. I need to love them just as much as I love my best friend that's in Christ because they're still my family. How awesome is this that God sees us as a family, as sons and daughters in him? And we're accepted as sons and daughters. You know, we're brought into this family where we can be ourselves. We don't have to try to fake it or we shouldn't have to fake it to fit in and feel special and feel accepted. We shouldn't have to fake it because we're family here. He brought you into this family and he gave you a great twofold purpose. So again, belonging to something, the family, purpose. Here comes your purpose. Two things. Galatians 6, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Romans 15, now we who are strong ought to bear the weakness of those without strength and not just please ourselves. Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good to his edification. John 13, a new commandment that I give you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. God gave us this great, big, beautiful family. And he said, your first purpose is that you love one another, that you be there for one another, that you step up for your brother or sister when you see something that they need. Not just the people that you like or your clique, everybody that's in this church, everybody that is in the big C church, when there's a need, we need to come alongside and be a brother and sister like God asked us to do it. We need to be here to help each other through our walk. And that's crazy to think that God expects us to love that way, but He does. Because He knows that you can do it. He's equipped you to do it. If you allow Him to work through you. You know, when you see your brother or sister stumble... The first thing that you should do would be to come alongside or try to find them help. But what's the first thing that a lot of us do? Well, did you hear what so-and-so said or what so-and-so did? Man, I'm not saying nothing, but... Mm. 
or we'd stand back a little bit and we just watch him to see to see see him fall to see how they're going to get through this that's not what you're supposed to do for your brother or sister and it's not the pastor so many times we just think well chris will do it right chris will help this person nate will help this person you know what god each one of you in here has a story that god wants to use to help somebody Somebody may be struggling with depression. I don't know that struggle. But somebody in here does, and they could be able to say, here, let me help you. Somebody may be struggling with with something else, drug addiction. I don't know that struggle. Now, you want to talk about alcohol? I can talk about alcohol addiction. Drugs, not so much. I don't understand that struggle, but I bet you there's somebody in here that does. That could say, here, brother, let me help you. Let me help you out. Let me, let me pick you up. I'm not going to walk over you. I'm going to pick you up, and I'm going to help you. Don't just think it's the pastor's job. You're a family. He's just another brother in Christ in this family. It's all of our jobs. We are to bear the weaknesses with each other and, and do it in love. It's not a contest. See, it's not a contest. The world... The, tells us that you got to be first and you got to be best but it, the christian walk is not a contest i don't have to be better than this person i don't have to be better than that person i have to be the best that god designed me to be and that may mean helping that person up rather than thinking i'm better than them and walking over them and saying look at me god at least i'm not here, love me, God, because at least I don't do what Matt does. That's not what a family does. That's the one thing I really believe that as believers we, we need to be better at. We need to fulfill this purpose. You know, we see a lot of people come into church and, and they, they proclaim their faith in Jesus Christ and then you don't see them in a month. What happened? We just write it off as well. They just left, right? They'll be back or they'll do something. Maybe they left because they didn't feel connected to somebody or to something. Maybe they left because they had a struggle in their life that somebody in here could have helped them with. But ah, Chris might see it. Chris might do it. If God is showing it to you, maybe God wants you to do something about it. Or else he would have told Chris to do it, right? God's revealing it to you. Don't expect him to do what God is calling you to do. This other purpose I want to talk about here, and it should be obvious, but sometimes maybe it isn't. Uh, We are to be showing and telling other people about this great gospel of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God. He who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us this ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ 
as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. First Peter 3, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and in fear. Ambassadors are just like what we think of today. When the U.S. sends an ambassador over to another country, they are the representation of this country. And they speak and they act. And when they do, it is seen as just, just like it's coming from the president. They are the representation of America to the rest of the world or that country when they're there. And God tells us that we are the representation of Jesus in this world. The Bible tells us that God has left us here in this world after becoming a Christian to be in the world, but not of the world, to be something set apart, something that others will see and say, what is this hope that you have? Why do you live this way? Why do you respond this way when failure happens or loss happens? What is it about you that you're different than others? God wants to use you to reach other people. Your story, we all have a story. You all are capable of reaching someone for Jesus. God wants to use you in that way. You know, and sometimes we're not a great representation of Jesus, but the Bible here says that God is pleading to the world through you. What are you saying? What are you saying to the rest of the world about Jesus? God is using you and wants to use you to plead to the rest of the world to come to him. You want a purpose? That's a huge purpose. You can try to shy away from it. You can say, ah, I don't want that much. But the fact remains is if you've taken on the name of Christ, that is your purpose. Good, bad, or whatever, that's what God designed you to be. When you came into this family and you took on the name of Jesus, people will watch you. God wants to use you to reach someone else because you guys in here are, are capable of reaching people that Chris can't. Believe that or not, you have a story that somebody relates to more than they relate to Chris or me or Nate or Ben or Kevin. You do. Use that. And the next thing I want to look at here is we all want to feel secure. You know, when you, when you talk about your job with somebody, what's one of the, the major things that draws you to that job or keeps you there or that you want out of your job or out of your relationship? You want security, don't you? I want to know if I, something goes wrong, I still got my job, <laughs> Right? I want that security to know that I can venture out and be innovative and I can try things. But I want my security if something happens and I fail. I want to know they're not just going to cast me aside. How many dads are there in here? Dads, grandpas. You guys remember the game of uh, jump off? 
I don't know, I don't know, you guys might have called it something different, but you put your kid on, you know, maybe you start on this little step here, and you say, come on, jump to daddy, right? And they start off, and they're timid, and they step, and then, then they kind of step into you, and you catch them. And then you move them up a little bit higher, and they, they timid, and they jump off, and you move them up a little bit higher, and then they just start jumping, don't they? I get my kids, they almost up onto a, a slide, man, they're jumping off. Because something over time, they learn to trust you. And they learn to know that I'm jumping into my daddy's arms and I'm safe. And I'm secure. Mine got so they didn't care if you were looking or not. They just jumping. <laughs> Kobe jump and grab you around the neck and put a chokehold on you. He didn't care. Because he knew daddy was going to catch him or daddy was going to die trying to catch him. That's security. That's that's how God wants you to feel in your relationship to Him. You know, God is your Father, and God wants you to, to jump into His arms and to feel safe. Childlike faith jumping off saying, I know that Daddy's going to catch me. That's how God wants you to see Him. Romans 8, Therefore there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit for the law of the spirit of life is Christ Jesus has made us free from the law of sin and death John 10 and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand my father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand Jesus says He gives you eternal life, and when He does, you are placed in the hands of the Father, and there ain't nobody, nobody, big enough, strong enough, tough enough, smart enough to get you and to take you out of the Father's hand. Nobody. You know, growing up, we all thought our dads was the toughest man on the planet. They could whip anybody, Right? My kids still can claim that to this day. <laughs> no, sadly, that's wrong. But, you know, over time, age has a way of humbling dad. And we get to see the weakness and the frailty. But we have a father in heaven who is that dad, who will never get weak, who will never falter, will never slip, who you are always secure in. Now we have that father. I read a story of, uh, there was, I think they're called botanists, I don't know, uh, people that look at flowers, botanists. But they were in the Alps, and they're, they're looking for these flowers, and uh, they come upon this really, really rare species of flower or whatever. And they want to go down and see it, inspect it, or look at it, but they can't get down there because it's down in this real tight gorge, and it's, it's really difficult to get to. So they see this little local kid. And they say, hey, we'll give you some money. You come down and go down in this gorge, you know, and you get this flower for us. And we're going to pay you some money. And guess what? We got this rope. We're going to tie it to you. And we're going to be here. And we're going to hold this rope just to make sure, you know, if anything goes wrong, we're going to pull you back up. And the little boy thought about it. And he left. <laughs> and they thought, well, yeah, he didn't buy for it. Sucker didn't take it, right? But a little bit later, he comes back. 
And he comes back with this guy and he says, I'll, I'll go down there now and get that for you. He said, but he's holding the rope. And he looked and he said, that's my daddy. Because he knows that something goes wrong. And, that, and he starts to slip or he starts to fall. That daddy is going to scratch and claw and fight to keep that boy safe. The, those other three guys, they may give up and say, uh-uh, it ain't pulling me over. But daddy's going to die trying to save me. That's how secure that God the Father wants you to be in him. And I wish we could be that way. We have this Father in heaven that even when we mess up and even when the enemy comes to tell you, see, I told you, you were a failure. See, I told you, you were worthless. I told you that you couldn't do this. Now God's not going to forgive you. Look at you. I battle that enemy a lot. And he comes to me and reminds me of how awful I am all the time. And to tell me what I've done that hasn't lived up to what God tells me I'm supposed to be. But now, if we know who we are, we can say, "Uh uh-uh, devil. No way. You know, he's God and certainly, I certainly don't deserve his mercy. And I certainly don't deserve his grace. And I don't deserve for him to forgive me. And to keep me, but I also know that he's my daddy. And I know that he loves me. And I know that I am secure in him. Because the enemy's going to come. He's going to remind you what a, what a mess up you are. You have to know how secure you are in Jesus. To know that I can do this. And if I make a mistake, it's okay. God's going to catch me. God's going to pick me up. God wants you to live a life that is secure in him. If you're just worried about yourself, what are you going to do for others? You're too focused on yourself to do anything for anybody else. But if you can live in the security that God has for you, you can venture off and do things for other people because you don't have to be so worried about yourself. You know, the Bible says that Satan stands... And accuses you to God day and night. He accuses you before God day and night. And a lot of times, you know what? He's probably right. He's probably right when he says, God, he's a screw up. And God, he's a failure. And look what he did here. But you know what else? Hebrews 7 says, Therefore, he who is able to save you to the uttermost, those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession Underline that word for them. First John 2, my little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate. Underline that word with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation, the payment in full for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for those of the world. Every time the enemy comes and accuses you. And makes you feel ashamed and worthless and tries to get God to deny you. Jesus Christ steps in and says, "Uh uh-uh, they're mine. I paid for that. They may have messed up, but guess what? My blood's covering them. I paid for that. You can stand here and accuse all you want, devil, but that one's mine. 
That's my son. That's my daughter. You know, when they were building the Golden Gate Bridge, it's funny, I, I read this. They, were, they didn't really have a lot of safety features back then, right? So people were up high, and they were falling off and dying. 23, 23 deaths, I think there was. People were scared to death to do their work. They're just so concerned about themselves and their safety. And then you know what happened? Somebody had this great idea. Gosh, let's, let's put a net down here to catch these people when they fall off. Ingenious, right? And you know, 10 people fell, and they all were safe. You know what happened? Production went up. Because people weren't so worried about themselves. Right? And they were able to go out and to do things and to work better. That's how God wants you to be in your faith. And in your walk with him. Last thing I want to look at. If I were to ask you if there's one thing I left off. What would you say? As it pertains to being identifying in Jesus. Wow. This is an excited crowd. You can't see them on live. But they are getting excited here. (laughs) To me it's to feel loved. Now you may argue. But to me people want to feel loved. You know we all have this good love story in our mind. And I mean, it's even rumored here in this church that there's some guys that love to watch those sappy love stories, right? I mean, I'm not, who am I kidding, right? I love the notebook. Every time that I realize Noah is reading to Allie that got back together and really they went through this life married, I start bawling. That's just the kind of guy I am. I love a good love story. I ain't going to lie. But on a serious note, is anybody like me that struggles with the fact that God loves you? I struggle with it. I don't know if it's how I was brought up. I was brought up that God, God was a judge. And if you got to heaven, you tricked God to get there because he didn't want you there. I didn't see the love of God growing up. I didn't understand the love of God. And so I still struggle with this today. Or it could be that. Or it could be because some of you guys didn't choose me in second grade for dodgeball. <laughs> but I struggle with that. Needing to feel loved. I mean in coming to faith in Jesus. I, I remember I would sit right over here. And the word of God would speak to me. And be trying to draw me. To Jesus. And the enemy would be right in my ear. God is not going to love you. Don't you remember what you did? Don't you remember all the time you took his name in vain? Don't you remember how you laid out drunk, passed out? Don't you remember those? You think God would love you? I remember battling that and battling that. And then something, God just opened my eyes. And God showed me how much he loved me. But I felt unlovable and I felt worthless. And when I do now, I try to remind myself that I am loved and I am held by the perfect love of Jesus. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that everyone who believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Ephesians 5 says, And walk in love. So also, so as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, 
an offering and a sacrifice to God, a sweet smelling aroma. You know, growing up, we didn't have much. I, you know, I've talked about that before. We didn't have a lot. Uh, my parents worked hard uh, to, to get us through and to get the things that we needed. But I remembered I would, and I'm glad that I got to see it. I would see my mom and dad struggle, and I would see them put back things that they needed to get me and my brother what we maybe didn't really need. We wanted it. I seen that struggle, and I seen that sacrifice. You want to know how much somebody loves you? Watch how much they'll sacrifice for you. That will tell you how much they love you. And you want to feel loved. You want to understand what love. You don't have to look any further than the cross of Jesus Christ. The greatest love story ever told. You know, I read a story one day of an ancient monk. And he he told everyone in the church, next week I'm going to be preaching a sermon on the love of God. So make sure you're here next week. So everybody came next week. And, you know, and there are those dark old churches. He pulls every curtain shut, and it's utter darkness, dark, pitch dark. And people are sitting there in dark, and they're like wondering, what the heck's going on, right? Then all of a sudden, you see this light light up. He illuminates a candle, places it in front of the cross, walks out. Enough said. Nothing else had to be said. That is the love of God, the cross. Nothing else has to be said. And to truly grasp that almighty God. I mean, I want you to understand how much it. He gave his son for you. That's how much that he loves you. And it wasn't easy. Don't think that, well, he's God. Everything's easy. It wasn't easy to give his son. It wasn't easy to punish his son for you. And it wasn't easy for Jesus to be up there for you and to take your sin. But the Bible says for the joy set before him, Christ endured the cross. You are that joy to know that you're going to be in heaven with him. You're that joy. Jesus hanging on the cross, looked down through the tunnels of time and saw each and every one of you here that have placed your trust in him. And he said, for that joy, because I love them that much, I'm going to endure this cross. I'm going to endure this shame. I don't care what they did. I don't care what they're going to do. I love them that much. And that's love. To know that he took my sin, my fear, my shame, my regret. To know that he took that on him and to know for the first time that the perfect unity of God was breached. And God had to punish his son for me. That's love. They ain't nobody in here going to give up their son for me. You might love me, but you ain't going to give your son for me. But God did for you. And Jesus took it knowingly and willingly for you. Galatians 5. It says, it was for freedom that Christ set you free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Don't be subject again trying to live up to what the world expects of you. Don't be subject again to trying to be beautiful for the world or trying to be special for the world. 
That's slavery. That's bondage. To care what somebody else thinks about you more than how God already sees you. That is bondage. Because you will never live up to the expectations of the world. Because once you think you reach it, guess what? It moves. You're always going to be slaving and working to get there and you'll never reach it. And all that should matter to us really is how does God see you? And now my question or my challenge to you is every day this next week, will you try to walk and remember the fact that you are chosen? That you are family, that you have a purpose, that you are secure in him and that you are loved. That's my challenge to you all this week. Go through this week and anytime the enemy comes to you, anytime the world comes to you and tries to tell you different, you remember that. Can you imagine how your life would be if we could walk that way that I don't have to have it all together because Jesus still loves me. I don't have to be the smartest, the cutest, the skinniest. I don't have to be any of that because God still loves me. Even in my failures, God still loves me. I don't have to be the richest. I don't have to win that argument. Because God still loves me. I'm trying to learn this cool thing of swiping past things that I really, my flesh tells me, oh, just let them have it here. I'm trying to learn that. You don't have to win the argument. God still loves you. Don't tear down somebody to win an argument because guess what? There's going to be somebody else to argue with tomorrow. You'll never win it. The world will never see you the way that God sees you and loves you. All right, let's go ahead and let's close in prayer. Father, again, we come to you this morning, Lord, and we're so thankful. God, that even when we don't see it, and even sometimes, God, when we don't believe it, we are still chosen. We are still special. We're still loved. And by the truth of your word, God, you said that you will never cast us aside. That we are secure in you and held by your love. And we're so thankful, Lord, that we don't have to earn it. We don't have to live up to the expectations of this world. Because you are our daddy. And you love us. And we thank you for that love, God. And most importantly, we thank you that you displayed that love, that good and perfect love on the cross. That you were willing to give your son and Jesus, that you were willing to die for us. We don't understand it. Our minds cannot comprehend it. But we are so thankful for it. God, we just pray that each and every one of us here, Lord, as we go out through this week, that when others see us, that that is what they think of us. That we're different. That we're chosen. That we're loved. That something is different about us. Help us to walk, God, in a manner that is worthy of you and your grace and your love for us. It's in Jesus' precious and holy name that we ask. Amen.